Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I am so glad you're here. I empower leaders to delight their customers. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights, wisdom, and practical tips that you can use immediately. I'm excited to announce the Trusted Guide Roadmap Masterclass for CX leaders who struggle with executive buy-in and are ready to go beyond CX fundamentals. This masterclass gives you proven frameworks and it takes you through a step-by-step, four-step model that will move you past the frustration of not getting your work done. It's unique because it's live, interpersonal, hands-on, and we give you tools and templates to help you build your CX roadmap. To learn more, visit empoweredcx.com. The next masterclass starts on February 27th, so don't wait. Well, I am so excited for this episode of the Delighted Customers Podcast. I have a very special guest, a return guest, Patty Saltis, who is a CCXP, a customer experience professional, one of my favorite CX thought leaders, and someone who, it's been a while, but actually did an interview of me on this very show a while back, and we had so much fun then, and she is back to do it again. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. And I'm even more excited about the topic we're covering today. Yeah. So we are, we are always talking about customer experience. This time we're really thinking about the customer experience leader and the challenges they have with leading what they do, which is really leading change, right? They're a change agent to make cultural transformation and embed customer experience into the culture of an organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny how people come into these roles and they can't like they get so frustrated because they can't get things done. But it's that miss of the understanding the change, being a change agent and um, and really just to start diving into our topic, but really like getting into that trust piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is a subtle thing and it's something that um, it's not talked about a whole lot. I, I, I had a background with trusted advisor associates for several years before I became a CX practitioner at a bank. And, um, and I, and it kind of came full circle around to realize when I was having challenges, it was because of trust. And when I, when I was successful, it was because of trust. Uh, and, uh, there's some science or some art to it, but, um, it is fascinating, and and uh, I can't I can't tell you how important I think it is to the success of a CX leader. Yeah, and Mark, you know I agree because a lot of times after I've finished having a conversation with somebody, or I've done a presentation, or um, anything, any type of interaction that has happened, I think to myself, okay, you know, how did that go? And I think about the content. And what I've learned from you is to stop thinking so much about the content, but think about the relationship and the rapport that I've built with that person. And is does that person see me as somebody who who has been validated and trusted? So you have a great frame of reference uh, to talk about this very topic because you were a CX practitioner uh, and you worked at some of my favorite retail stores, Neiman Marcus, Marshall Fields, Lord & Taylor. And then you did research for a while and interviewed CX leaders and uh, got involved in that. Now you're back on the practitioner side and you did work at, at uh, Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa. Now you're at Upwork. Um, so just a great background, great frame of reference. And um, 
and, and just how important is this idea of trust? And 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 I also want to talk about the 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 troubles and the challenges that CX leaders are having today. And I do think that when I look back retrospectively through the course of time, one of the biggest and most important things was always establishing that level of trust because I couldn't influence without that trust. And I do think that that is something that became a, a bigger and bigger factor. The, you know, the longer I worked, the more responsibilities I took on in my roles, that became a bigger factor for me in what it was I was doing. Yeah, I think I think um, it's it probably makes sense to talk a little bit about the cold hard realities of what a CX practitioner has to go through, and you and I have been there. We've been through the the boot camp, the school of hard knocks, so to speak. We have the scars to prove it. Um, and anyone who's done this for any period of time knows knows that you go in and you're really not prepared for what you're about to go into. And I think you you do the best you can to learn. And there's so many aspects to being a customer experience leader, so many different areas from finance to things that are related to marketing, operations, technology. I mean, culture, employee experience, it was just so much. It's so wide. Nobody can be an expert in all of it. Um, and so we're kind of learning on the job, but we find is that, and I'll go back to uh, a, a quote from Forrester when they made their predictions in 2023, a little over a year ago, that they said some 80% of CX teams were they were predicting would fail because of a lack of skills and that would get stuck on basic find and fix work and be unable to help their organizations innovate in a tough business environment. And that really frustrated me because I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear that all these CX programs were going to either be collapsed or absorbed into other functions. But the truth is that um, it, I don't know, I don't know if anyone can actually go back and measure that, but I can tell by conversations I've had with CX leaders that some of them have been displaced. Some of them are really frustrated because their roles have been diminished and it's frustrating, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. It's really frustrating. And it really comes back to the value that you're adding into the organization. And I look at it, there's two really key things that you need to do as you're bringing value into your organization. First of all, you need to align with your organizational goals. Like that is just a non, you just, it's mandatory that you're going to do that. It is just non-negotiable. The other thing that I think that you really have to do is really figure out how to become an influencer inside that organization and how do you build your own trusted brand inside your organization. And until you have that trusted brand, you really haven't proven why anyone should listen to you. And so much of that comes from how are you being strategic in what you do with this and, and what kind of of trust sequence are you building as you're going through your organization and really wielding that influence throughout it? Yeah. And, and I agree. And, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit more, but the reality is it's, it's worth empathi empathizing with CX leaders for a minute to say, if you don't, if you don't have a plan kind of structured, similar to what you talked about, if you're not trusted and you don't have a plan, um, then your projects are going to get stalled. You won't have a seat at the table when decisions are being made. You won't get the resources like people and money and time, et cetera. And your work will ultimately hit some sort of glass ceiling, right? That 
is limited by the fact that you don't have the support. And I can tell you, um, it, you know, it's it's really critical, and I, I write about this all the time about getting the support of the C-suite. But I will say, um, many many CX uh, programs get started or practices get started because they have a, a burning platform, and the CEOs say, "I need CX. Uh, you know, we need to try and fix this." For whatever reason, so that you you initially have at least on paper the support of the C-suite or at least the CEO, that's not enough. You you really even if you have a thumbs up, if you have a collaborative leadership style of any kind, well then the machine just starts working right, and so you need to build support at all levels, don't you? All right, absolutely. And you know you mentioned several of them before. In my current role, I work with a lot of products. So I'm working with our product teams and it is, I'm coming up on about a six month mark and it is, it has been a strategic move to get them to trust me and to understand what it is I can do for them. So it's that combination that really is, um, is building. And it's exciting to me to see people starting to come to me and ask for my input and ask for my advice and ask, what do I think? And, 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 you know, and, are doing that the most exciting thing about that mark isn't that people are asking me it's that they want to know more about the customer and they're mm. understanding the power that um, that 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 level of knowledge can have in what they're doing but it all stems from did i build the right relationship and rapport with them to, essentially do they trust me yeah yeah and and um and there are elements that that go into what it means to be trusted and really what we're talking about is so there's there's trust that happens between people between institutions and there's two sides of it and then there's trustworthiness which is really what one person thinks of the of another person it, it's it's really one directional and that's what we're really talking about is trustworthiness are you perceived as trustworthy as a leader. And so, um, you know, the, the drumbeat lately in CX, and I, I would say last several years has been, make sure you get executive buy-in, make sure you, you tar do prove the ROI of CX. And you mentioned that earlier, and I agree 100%. Um, however, that's, while that's one of the most critical things you need to do, if they don't trust you, they don't, you know, the old saying of no like, and trust, you know, then, your programs, your projects are going to hit a wall. And part of the reason of that is this idea of how people make decisions. Um, in this, Gerald Zaltman from Harvard Business School wrote a book called How Customers Think, Essential Insights into Innovation in the Market. And he said that 95% of purchase decision making takes place in the subconscious. It's emotional. So we make decisions based on emotions and then justify them with rationale, um, even at the executive level. So if you think about what you know, executives are talking about, yes, they care about um, the financial statements, absolutely, income statements, you know, statement of cash flows, balance sheet. They care about all that, absolutely 100%. When they're looking at decisions about this project or that project, other people besides you are making the business case for why they're initiative should move forward, right? So it's a choice not between good and bad, but a choice between two goods and which one they perceive to get the most value out of. And it's not necessarily a mathematical equation. You can't just put on paper, 
well, if I buy this enterprise system or if I put this much money into advertising, then we're, we know we're going to get this much back or HR development, employee experience initiatives. It's not that simple. When you think about things like culture, they care about that. Risk, they care about that. Reputation, social media, they, they care about how they're being perceived as a brand. Hard to put a number on that, right? That's where emotions play a role. And that's why trust is so, so critical because you could have a, a rock solid proposal and as great ROI. And I would recommend what you said earlier, make sure you have a business case and prove the value of CX. But at the same time, um, it's really important that they trust you as a baseline. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's that value proposition. How does what does someone's mm. perceived value of what they're getting? And value is different for different people. So it's being able to be agile enough to pivot, to understand what's important to each person and understand what's in their value proposition. And that's for both internal and external stakeholders. Exactly. Yeah, that's what you alluded to is the fact that no, one size doesn't fit all. And the people that you, first of all, the people that you're needing to influence, you mentioned the word influence earlier, right? And it, it's so true in the CX space, like we have the smallest departments, we have the smallest budgets, we have uh, an uphill battle, we have headwinds everywhere we go, and we're constantly feeling like we're trying to prove ourselves. So with these small budgets, everything we need to get done pretty much is through others, right? Very few, very few projects. The only thing we can do really is set up a VOC platform, is, can, is set up some focus gr group interviews or some in-depth interviews. We can do those kind of things. But the majority of change that needs to happen, we need to do through influence, influencing others. And that means getting to, to build relationships with people and that's that's more strategic than it is tactical. Right. And I feel like a lot of times I'm the person behind the curtain. You know, I'm the mm. one that's behind the curtain, but I'm the one that can make this one move here. And I'm the one that can make this one move there and so on and so forth. And that's one of the things, Mark, and I'm just going to lay this out. That's one of the things that I've yeah. from you is a lot more about how to be a trusted guide. You've talked a lot mm. about being the guide versus the hero. And I think that's such a great thing for people to understand. Yeah, thanks. The, the credit goes to Donald Miller, who wrote Building a Story Brand, and he studied stories. To talk about is every story has a hero. You know, I never thought about it this way a hero, a, a guide, a victim, and a villain. And um, in, in some cases throughout the day, we, we can play all four of those roles. Uh, but if we think about our role as a CX leader, often we arc to hero. Uh, why? Because maybe because we are the smallest and we have the smallest budget and we feel a bit insecure. Quite frankly, I know I did. And so then I try to be the subject matter expert on everything CX and come to the table and say, well, you should trust me because I know more about NPS and CSAT than you do. And that is a failing proposition uh, to be the smartest person, to think that you're the smartest person in the room is not what they're interested. They don't need another hero. They're not looking for another hero. In fact, you know, to be, to be uh, quite frank is there's a whole bunch of reasons why they're not going to trust you initially, right? And some of them have nothing to do with you.
some, some of them have to do with them, you know, and what they've experienced in the past and experience completely unrelated to CX and maybe their own motivations and goals. So to, to take the stand of NPS went down three points last quarter, our customers said, we are horrible at these three things. So you need to change this. That's not going to go over well. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> I feel like I live that every day um, because no matter where we work and especially when you get to certain levels of leadership, you're also dealing with ego and to come yes. in and be that guide and how do you help that other person be more successful, that can really make a big difference. And that's where you can wield a lot more influence. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I built um, after talking to people, after learning from from people my own experience i decided that i didn't see something out there that quite served the cx leader who got was had the fundamentals but was struggling in this sense trying to make real ground in their efforts and 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 i created a program called the trusted guide roadmap masterclass because it was something that i wish i had when i was a cx practitioner and it, it includes four, four different aspects, um, four modules, if you will. We broke it into four weeks. Um, and the first one is how to earn trust. So we go into things like you take a trust quotient assessment that's offered by trusted advisor. And we break those down and we talk as teams and breakout groups. So it's very interpersonal and you get to speak with other CX leaders. We then go into becoming a guide as we just talked about the difference between a hero and a guide. And your point earlier about it's important to really understand that people are different and there are different motives that that people have and that maybe there's some even some egos involved. Imagine that. Um, so how do you really map out a landscape of who's who and where you are built in terms of building the relationship with that person and how can you be a guide for them rather than trying to be the hero so there's a there's a model around that a template we use there to help you become a guide and those just sort of underlay the other the other piece which moves more toward the rational or logical practical side of success in my and that's building your cx roadmap which is the third part which is um, rich in things like a maturity assessment for your organization, where you are now, developing a benchmark mark on where you are with your customers and your employees, uh, what they say about the customer experience, and building out a plan for two to three years for CX. Talk about building value and credibility. You know, without a roadmap, without a plan, why should they trust you, right? And and building one with consensus. And then the last part is proving the value, and that's really critical. Uh, is so we, we go through five ROI models that we give you templates for and calculators that you walk away with on how to prove the ROI and really how to think about it because every organization is a little bit different. One size doesn't fit all, but as you, as you learn a thought process and you learn how you can calculate ROI, you can use it and apply it specifically to your organization. So that, that is um, the, the four keys, in my opinion, to getting success as far as a CX leader. What you're talking about here is you do need to have that value because if you don't have the value, it's kind of what's the point. And that's where these CX become at risk. But the only way that you can go and prove that value is to do the other three steps. And I know this, Mark, because I've learned from you and I've been using them in my role. And it, it 
I mean, there's no other way to put it other than to just say it works, but you really do need to go through all three of those steps in order to get to that fourth one, which is proving your value. And so it becomes a really important thing to, to get to that point because that's where people do start to listen and pay attention and rely on you truly as a trusted advisor. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is easy to miss that. And, and one of the challenges is if you find your work stalling and you haven't done just what you said, built the trust first and be are viewed as a guide versus a hero, they're not going to tell you. You know, it's a silent thing. It's all of a sudden, I the phone calls. You know, the, you're hearing crickets. Um, you're not being you're here about a meeting that you weren't invited to, where some decision was made. Um, you are uh, not getting work approved, or you're getting after you thought you had something already approved. It's not approved anymore, um, and it's and it's because of some. It could very well be because there's a lack of trust, um, and you're being viewed as a threat. Well, and you know, the other thing that I'll say about this is that when you're put into um, a leadership role and you have a team that is reporting to you and you do have on paper in the org chart, you do have influence over them. But once again, if you don't do these four steps, it, you, it doesn't work because you don't have the trust of your team either. So it's going to work on both sides. It's going to work for the peers that you're out there trying to influence as well as it works when you're working with your own team, because when you have that trust on both sides, people know you're invested in them. And that's where the value yeah. comes is that you truly are invested in them. And it's always funny to me because we as CX people talk about empathy and we talk about EQ and, you know, we need to have it for our customers. We need to have it for the people we work with. And that's what yeah. this does is it helps elevate that. Because the other thing I'll say about this is that I think we intuitively do some of these things, but when you consciously start to do them, and that's what happened, like even in my particular case, Mark, that happened to me, I consciously started to follow this um, this roadmap and I, things happened so much faster. I didn't yeah. get stuck. I didn't get frustrated at various points because I was doing some of these things a little intuitively, like it just made sense to me. But now that I've got like the whole thing lined out, I, like I'm moving with so much more speed and that makes a nice. difference. Yeah. I mean, in that regard, if I could share a failure of mine um, when I was a practitioner and it didn't go as fast as, as you're talking about, I had a situation where... <laughs> Um, we were trying to develop, proving the value. We were trying to follow Gene Bliss's model for volume and value and um, and proving and proving the value of CX. And we were looking for uh, a mathematical formula, financial formula that we could use. And we came up with something called the Client Engagement Index. And really what, what it was is the, the CFO uh, really cared about driving business through all the different vertical lines of business. Uh, and so it was a share of wallet metric. It was how well are we feeding the beast? How are we, are we hitting on all cylinders of, of the different businesses and feeding each other? Because we're a bank, so we have a, you know over 100,000 banking clients, and not everybody's buying commercial loans who has a business, mortgages, have had treasury management with us if they're a business, or have investments with us in our trust. So we... we there, our current customer base is our best source of new business. They're already customers. 
Um, and that's just one example. So we wanted to measure that. And I had uh, everybody but one business line leader who I thought was on board and I was kind of friendly with on the side. And it, it turned out that that person had a problem with the metric. Uh, that person felt like he couldn't control business that was in one of the areas outside of his and therefore was threatened by it. Didn't like it because he didn't have control over it. Uh, leadership wanted all the cylinders pumping on all pistons, but he was thinking about his vertical. And, um, you know, maybe he, he should have at that point thought about his corporate hat, what was best for the bank overall. But he was being honest in that. And that's what happened. And that delayed my progress because I didn't tend to that need. I didn't build that stakeholder relationship. And I didn't align with his goals. So therefore, that cost us about three years of going sideways and multiple times going back to the same group for approval, different ways, still hitting that wall. And so, you know, it's just a simple thing like that where you could save yourself not only time, but I mean, that that is something that could have just been dead on arrival. Uh, and never gotten anywhere. Eventually it did, and it became a metric that as far as I'm concerned, they're still using today, as far as I know. They're still using today uh, because it has some reliability aspects to it, the metric itself. And it's 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 a good metric. Um, so we so it's just a great lesson in uh, just because you're friends with somebody doesn't mean you've got their support, right? And if you're not friends and they don't trust you in the sense that they think you're out, one of the, one of the, uh, variables of trustworthiness is self-orientation. If they think you're more out for yourself than you are for them, there's a lower level of trustworthiness. And that came around to really hurt me in that instance. How'd you swing them over? Well, I think it was really sitting down and understanding how I could, how we could frame the metric in a way that didn't make him feel as threatened. You made a partner. Right. And look, in, in other words, um, like what's, okay, so let's play this out. What's going to be the outcome if, you know, you don't hit this number? Nobody's nobody's going to lose their job. Nobody's going to get fired over this. This is just a goal of senior leadership uh, because they want more. So that was the feeling of is I'm going to get dinged. My people are going to get dinged. And uh, we're going to get hurt. And these metrics, just like NPS, you know, they really shouldn't be getting people fired. That's not the purpose of these goals. And so that was kind of a misunderstanding. And it, you know, it's uh, their production goals, and those production goals are still critical. Uh, but when they see something like a customer experience goal conflicting with a production goal, quota, sales quota, whatever it is, then they feel threatened. And so that was the key to me is sitting down and, and digging in a little bit further into what the underlying concern was. Yeah. You know, you mentioned so many things as you were talking there and gosh, mm. there can be just such a misunderstanding between people. And I think that's the other part of having that trust is it delineates and decreases that potential for misunderstanding. It, you know, because if you're operating from that same viewpoint of, we're in this together and you've got that trust and you're serving as the guide that 
that just helps so much. And gosh, Mark, I, I really appreciate you sharing the mistake that you did with that because it got me thinking, I was like sitting here thinking, I was like, I have like a hundred of these things that I've done where I've done them wrong and been a little rash. And, you know, like, like my biggest thing is I like, I'll get something and I don't understand, like, it's so crystal clear. Like, why can't somebody else get it? But when that happens to me, and I'm like, okay, I get this. And it's all so crystal clear. Now I can go back to my roadmap and I can pinpoint mm. along my roadmap what it is that I need to do. And I can turn that situation around. Whereas before it would just lead to insane frustration on my part. Cause I'm like, you know, if we don't do this, then we're going to lose this much in revenue. And we put this at risk and, you know, so on and so forth. Like I could throw the financial implications right into it, but it came back to going back to, the roadmap and where did I miss a step? Yeah, you, you brought up a really good point. As a CX leader, is really the number one advocate for the customer in the organization. The number one, even the salespeople. And I was a salesperson for many years. The CX person is really the customer advocate, number one. And so it drives you crazy when you know you're getting feedback, you're, you're seeing verbatim quotes from customers, you're hearing, you're seeing the data. And you're not getting approval. You know, it's really frustrating. One of the things that you talked about before uh, is, is about how things move quickly. And that's a benefit of high trust. And the opposite, obviously, is true with low trust. One of the, one of the reasons for that is to do with one of the other variables of trustworthiness, and that's intimacy. And that that what they mean by that is a safe haven for difficult conversations, a place where this is the person you would go to and share something in confidence with. This is a place where I know that they know what to do with what I'm going to tell them. Like they're a vault if they need to be. Um, they need to go, uh-huh, if if that's a response or I can't believe that's, that happened, if that's an appropriate response, right? They know how to respond. And what you get then with that stakeholder is honesty and transparency back. You get that back because you want to know what the underlying issues are that could potentially slow down or accelerate your initiatives. And you won't get that if there's low trust. Mm -mm. No, you won't. And it, you're taking me back to my retail days and thinking about when I was trying to convince our, our buying teams that we needed to add a vendor or something like that. And sometimes these negotiations could take two and three years. Like they were very extensive and lengthy and mm -hmm. a large piece of it was always getting into the numbers piece. Um, how much, how many dollars per square foot could we do? Uh, what was our sell through going to look like? What would our stock to sales ratio look like? What would turn look like? I mean, we looked at all of those pieces. Um, of course, looking at what gross margin was going to be and all that, but there was this other number out there that was so hard to quantify and that was your opportunity your mm. your opportunity dollars and the only way for me to get to the opportunity dollars was to know what the customer wanted and what the customer needed and how much was the customer willing to spend so in order to get that information i had to of course you know get it from my customers get it from my selling teams um so on and so forth but in order for that to work and to to convince people it was never going to happen if i didn't have that trust in my organization and they didn't trust that what i was telling them was what was a possibility now part of it did come from those other financial numbers that i was talking about the sell through the dollars per square foot the gross margin all of those pieces but the other part came from 
they trusted me on that opportunity number because I had shown them that I was somebody who could be trusted. And that was the only way that it worked because I had no real like ground to stand on otherwise, other than the fact I had that trust and they could believe me when I went to them and said, this is our opportunity dollar that we have here. Yeah. And and that's another great point is that, you know, even if we're trying to prove the value, we may need other people uh, to influence, to help us get that data and, uh, they may have it, not tell you they have it, or they can get it, but it's too much of a hassle because they don't trust you. They don't like you. They don't know you. Uh, and so you get that data and you've got their support and you're going to need, you're going to need even to prove your value and your case, you're going to need the support and the trust of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did, you're right, Mark. I had to have the data behind it, but nobody would have listened to me had I not had that trust. Yeah. Yeah. It it would have all been just dead in the water. It would have been a pie in the sky. Gosh, I wish we could have had this thing. And you know what? That solved so many problems for me because it solved not only customer problems, it also solved employee problems for me because they knew they were being listened to. So it was a win like the whole way across. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I I um I'm a believer in this. I'm a believer in you know, earning trust, becoming a guide, building your CX roadmap and proving the value once you have the fundamentals down. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say it's not easy. Like I, I've been in my current job for about six months. I'm still working on this inside my organization. But knowing that I've got my roadmap, it gives mm-hmm. me some reassurance because I worked my roadmap. And that's where I know that I'm building the trust the right way inside the organization. And like I said, it is not easy. And it comes with a lot of setbacks and some frustrations and things like that. But that roadmap is the key. Because anytime I feel that sense of frustration or that sense of, gosh, is this really going to work? I go back to my roadmap and I can look at it. I can course correct with it. I can celebrate a little victory with it. But it, it becomes like the crux of what it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's working for you. And they're lucky to have you there at Upwork. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm grateful to have you as, as a friend and a CX colleague. Fan. And you're just terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing that part in too, Mark. I'm a fan. <laughs> my, my dad used to say it's a lot less painful to learn from other people's mistakes. So feel free to learn from my mistakes. <laughs> I know. I look back at 30... 30- Five thirty-seven, something like that years and i'm like god if i didn't know now what i knew then right but it does right. help and that's why i think having something like this is beneficial because it is based on a knowledge and experience and it's grounded in reality yeah well thank you on that note i think we probably should land the plane um, but thank you so much for, for talking with me today. It's always great getting together with you and love picking your brain. Uh, oh, it's all mutual, Mark. All mutual. Just really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I want to ask you if you'll do two things. One, if you've enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.